Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. Welcome to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Jungle Jack Chef Plum. We love a good day trip. And who doesn't love animals? Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo has always held a very special place in my heart. When my kids were younger, I basically stayed home with them during the day. And the zoo became a place that I would go to with the girls to let them run and play and learn respect for animals. And everyone there was always so amazing when when we were there. And caring and just super friendly when it came to bringing my kids there. It really has a special place in my heart. So we wanted to share this special place with you, too, and learn some interesting things about animal diets at the same time. The Beardsley Zoo is home to 350 exotic animals and wildlife, and their caretakers prepare more than 200 individual animal diets each and every day. That's a lot of food. Meat, fish, mice, fruit, veggies, worms, insects, and biscuits. In this hour of Seasoned, you'll hear from Jim Knox, Curator of Education at the Zoo, along with zoo educators Chrissy Shore and Jen Farrell, and animal care specialist Chris Barker. We'll start by the zoo's commissary. Now, the commissary looks a little like a fast food drive through from the outside. Inside is a very clean, professional-looking kitchen with steel tables set up for safe food prep, fridges, and lots of counter space for chopping. We meet Chrissy outside, where she explains a bit about what she does at the zoo. Then we'll put a mic up to the commissary window and talk while Chrissy chops a salad for the zoo's blue-tongued skinks and bearded dragons. All right, so I work with the ambassador animals here at the zoo, which means I do their daily care. Um, I do their diet prep, which we're going to talk about a little later. I do their training, enrichment. I give programs, talk to the public, train staff on how to work with the animals. So a little bit of everything. So what's an ambassador animal? Great question. So an ambassador animal is an animal that teaches the public um, or schools or we go to senior homes just why their species is important, why animals are important and why people should care about the planet. Can you give us an example of an ambassador animal? Absolutely. We have so many ambassador animals. We have lots of reptiles. Um, We have some raptors. We have a bobcat. We have parrots. We have cockroaches. We have crickets. We have just a little bit of everything. What would someone be surprised to know about what you do here at the zoo? Um, Wow, people are often surprised by how down and dirty we get. Um, Often covered in everything from some greens for making diets to some poop uh, to some dirt. You just never know what you're going to get covered in here. So I've been coming to the zoo with my little ones yep. since they were very, very tiny. And we love the zoo. It's amazing. I love how all the animals have names. They're all, yes. They all have names. So like, it's like, I don't want to say pets, but they all have names. So, but that kind of shows how well they're cared for. Oh, yeah. And it shows in also the food that they eat. Can you talk about the quality of the food just as a whole? Oh, yeah. We get food better than I eat at my house. Um, so we always joke that the keepers eat worse than the animals because we're eating chips and Oreos and terrible stuff. And then we spend all this time prepping nutritionally sound diets with supplements and making sure everyone gets exactly uh, what they need in their diet. So they definitely get better food than we eat. (laughs) Can you give us an example of some of the stuff they eat? Yeah, so uh, depending upon what animals you have, I mean, we have a bobcat that gets a prepared horse meat diet um, along with other food enrichment items like uh, whole prey items. Um, And then you're gonna see me make a reptile diet and that's uh, different greens and veggies and fruit. 
Um, we have a macaw you might meet later that gets a prepared biscuit diet and cooked veggies, cooked fruit, seeds, nuts. So they get a little bit of everything. Half the reason I want to come here, Marisol, is because I have a, a dinner coming up. I need some great dinner <laughs> ideas to serve. We got some of recipes course. for you. Yeah, uh, of Maybe we'll leave the supplements out. You might not need extra calcium. But, gotcha. You know. So we're standing now in front of, it, there's a big window here, and there's like a dish tank back there, yep. uh, triple sinks, and lots of tables. It looks very much like a kitchen yes. back here. Is, this, is that what this is? That is our commissary. So it's our kitchen. We have a couple different tables so we can prep different diets all at once. Um, some zoos have a commissary keeper that makes all the diets. We actually, every area makes their own diets, um, which I personally like. I like seeing exactly what the animals I'm taking care of are getting, and then I can see um, how they like it or whatnot. I really enjoy the full aspect of doing that. Um, so yeah, we have four areas of the zoo that make diets in here. So we have three tables, so we usually can score and have some space to make diets. How do you know what the animals want to eat or are you just like I know this is good for you so this is what you're gonna eat a little bit of both so our diets are formulated by vet staff um, and talking to other zoos about what the animals should be eating um, and then there's a little bit of what will they eat and sometimes it's something crazy like the macaw won't eat the banana unless you leave the peel on so there's a lot of trial and error to figure huh. out exactly how to get them to eat um, what they eat and our reptile diet we have to chop very very finely because similar to children they don't want to eat a lot of veggies, so you kind of have to trick them. If they want the fruit, they got to eat the greens and they got to eat the veggies. Wow. So it's a, a little crazy. column A, little column B. They're definitely getting what they scientifically need, but sometimes we have to get a little creative about how to get them to eat it. Do they ever get sent to bed without their dessert <laughs> because they have not finished their Oh, supper? without their desserts, absolutely. But never without their dinner. <laughs> they always get what they need. <laughs> you know, the chef of me is just sitting here listening to this conversation, Marisol, and I'm thinking, if I was in here, like... Everyone thinks it sounds gross, but like the chef, I, I want to taste it. I want to see yeah. if it tastes good. Like, why wouldn't they eat it? Maybe I should taste it. Maybe I should do something different to it. Oh, yeah. Does it need more seasoning? Does this food get seasoned at all? Do you salt it? Do nope, you... no seasoning. I mean, I'm not saying you're putting chili powder on it, but like... No, no seasoning. I mean, I assume uh, some of the biscuit diets have something in them, but not really salt or anything like that. They get that from other sources. I love that this is like, I'm like the fifth grader here, and I'm like, do you guys eat the <laughs> yeah. food? Do you guys do it? I will <laughs> say, when you're really hungry and you're making delicious salad, it does look really good. Not so it. much the meat diets. So can we watch you guys prepare something in here? Absolutely. So I'll go around and I'm going to make a reptile diet. It'll be for our blue tongue skink and our bearded dragon today. Amazing. So you'll get to see me do a little prep. And Jim can answer any questions if you have them because he's familiar with the diet. And I'll come back out after. Sounds great. Cool. At this point, Chrissy heads into the commissary and Jim Knox joins us at the commissary window, which kind of reminded us of a drive through as we talk with Chrissy about reptile diets. Hi, I'd like a vanilla milkshake, <laughs> large fries, um, and I would like the car for my gift, my toy. Okay? Nice. Okay. Sorry. All right. Have at it, sister. So today I'm making the Monday, Wednesday, Friday reptile diet, um, which is for our skink, our blue tongue skink and our bearded dragon. So I need 90 grams of greens. I'm going to try to give them a variety. Now the greens she's talking about here, myself, if you look... It's a salad. I mean, there's that's that's red leaf lettuce. It looks like romaine, romaine. hearts. Romaine. Mm -hmm. Maybe some kale. How about that? I mean, this looks like a great salad that I would eat. No kidding. Yes, I eat salads. I don't believe you. <laughs> Chrissy, who taught you to chop? Uh, doing it here a lot. Excellent. <laughs> chef, Sometimes how's she home, how's she doing, I'll, chef? I'll, uh, cut my own greens too. Our knife well. skills are a 10 in my book. <laughs> wow. That's a compliment. 
So we're just dicing up. You're really just chopping up this lettuce into small bits because is this some lettuce you have to hide? Well, yeah, I mean, wouldn't you eat just fruit if you could? So I'm trying to make sure they get a little bit of everything. Absolutely. Remind us again what creature this is for. This is for our blue-tongued skink and our bearded dragon. Now, Jim, can we ask you, uh, the blue-tongued skink, is this a large animal, small animal? He's a pretty big lizard. Uh, he is about uh, 22 inches long, so he's a stocky-bodied guy. And um, they're native to Australia, New Guinea, forest dwellers, omnivores. So this is, uh, he's going to be very excited about this diet. So he'll, he'll like this a lot. This is delicious for him. But how big is the portion size on something like this for him, being Chris, the size that he is? Chrissy can tell you in terms of actual grams. This is my creative way of saying I don't know. So you guys are gonna have to you guys are gonna have to edit that, but at least I have cred, right? At least you guys say he knows. He's, yeah. he's just, gonna get 70 grams. Thank you, Chris. And then he's gonna get Save extra me. fruit. So skinks need a little more fruit than bearded dragons. So after I make the salad all together, I'm gonna add fruit to the skink so he gets the fruit he needs. Interesting. I mean, there's a whole tub of stuff to chop up here. This is a lot of knife work. Have you guys ever heard of a Robocoop? <laughs> I mean, we get good with knives. <laughs> um, and I have some cooked veggies. I already cooked them, so we didn't okay. have to sit in here and wait. So you, have, you said you had cooked veggies? Yeah. Now, how do you, could you steaming them, just boil them? What do you do uh, to we them? We steam them in the microwave. Okay. Basically. What are you slicing right now? Uh, we have sweet potato and carrot. Excellent. So we just cook them up so they're a little softer and easier to eat. I mean, this is a super healthy diet here. Absolutely. Very. And I would, full disclosure, I would eat a salad that contains all of these things. Yeah. I think most people would. I mean, it looks delicious. I would definitely eat this as well. My question is, though, it's not like these these blue tailed tailed or tongue blue tongue skinks have a microwave out in the wild. Correct. So why do we microwave the vegetables? Well, you know, we can't exactly replicate what they would get in the wild, so we're just doing our best with what we have. Okay. And so sweet potato and carrot are pretty hard, tough veggies, and we want them to eat it, so we're trying to make them as palatable as possible. That's great. And now you're getting after a kiwi. Yep, I'm doing a little bit oh, of fruit. And an apple. Just to give them a good variety. And the same thing, I'm gonna chop it up really small for them. And everything's being weighed on a scale right there yeah. so we can get the perfect amount of food. Is that the idea? Yep, absolutely. You don't want anyone getting too chubby off salad. That would be tragic. <laughs> Far be it from me to know how a blue-tongued skink eats, but what is this process? Do you put it out in the middle of a habitat? Yep, so he has a little habitat and we put it in, there's two bowls here, so the flat pan is his. And actually his favorite thing to do is lay in it while he eats it. Um, I mean, he that's loves to scatter it all over too. his habitat. So I always joke I make the comfiest salads. <laughs> he just has to climb in. You know, it's very similar to how I eat chicken wings. I put them in a kiddie pool, I lay down in them. Perfect. That way I can just eat them and toss Excellent. them. Excellent. So I'm cutting up a little bit of red bell pepper, which I'm calling enrichment for the day for them. Um, it's just a little extra veggie, make their salad look a little prettier. And fun fact, bearded dragons love red food. Weird. And our bearded dragon is not very good at eating her salad. Oh. So I often try to trick her a little by putting some red on top I so that she might see. give it a little try. You said this is enrichment, so. Yes. That means you're adding it like something different. It's something different that wouldn't be in there yesterday. Yep, and um, we do all kinds of enrichment. Food enrichment is just one type, but that's the type we're doing right now. Okay. That's so really interesting. So now the salad's done, I'm going to weigh it out so that each animal gets the proper amount. 
So it's a giant bowl. It looks like a big dog bowl to me, or a big yeah, stainless steel does. bowl. Yeah, it does. Mixed it up chopped like... lettuce, carrots, a little bit of that uh, sweet potato in there, weighed out on the scale into a smaller bowl, which is, I'm guessing, the food dish. Yep, this is what will go in the habitats with them. Let's see if I did my math right. Close enough. We'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it actually looks like a great salad that you would get at like... It looks like a chopped salad. Like 11 Madison Park. This looks great. I think yeah. she's almost there. She yeah. is one red bell pepper away from a Michelin star. Well, now we just need a little extra fruit for the skink since he needs extra. Oh, a banana. 10 grams perfectly. It's almost like I do this every day. Fantastic. Listen, when you finish up here, um, I need some help this weekend at work. So if you want to come over... <laughs> I would love that. It'd be really fun. <laughs> this looks amazing. Well, thanks for showing us this. This Absolutely. is fantastic. How many, how many times a day do they eat? Uh, it depends on the animal. So our reptiles only eat once a day. In fact, our blue tongue skink and bearded dragon both only get salad three times a week. The other times they get meat items, so usually bugs. Um, but today's a salad day for them. So. What kind of bugs would it be? Uh, well, it depends. They could get earthworms. They can get crickets. They can get mealworms, superworms. Um, they can eat sometimes roaches, so... It depends what's on sale at Costco. <laughs> I guess so, right? What they get in bulk from... Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that, that's a great looking salad. I'll have that. <laughs> might as well, you can have the worms. I mean, Thank you might you. have to fight the reptiles for it. <laughs> <laughs> that was zoo educator Chrissy Shore. Later in the hour, two of the smartest river otters you'll ever meet. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Coming up after the break, we'll go inside the commissary with Jim and take a quick tour of the freezer before spending more time with Chrissy and a macaw named Newton. Is she posing right now? Oh yeah, 100%. No, she sir. knows she's beautiful and she can tell that attention is being paid to her. Are you secretly her agent? Oh yeah. This is Seasoned, the wildlife edition. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Attention zoo guests. Attention zoo guests. Welcome to Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo. Right now. Today, Marisol and I are learning about what our furry, scaly, and feathered friends eat at Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo. We're talking to my buddy Jim Knox, curator of education, and Chrissy Shore, a zoo educator. Before we get back to the animals and their diets, I want to give a shout out to the various gardens we passed as we walked around the zoo. From the commissary, to the sculpture garden, to the research station, you'll find a number of pollinator pathway gardens where ruby-throated hummingbirds and giant swallowtails have been spotted. The horticulturalists here at the zoo are also growing produce for the animals in their greenhouse, as well as bamboo for the red panda to eat. Side note, Jim called the red panda adorable. He says that's, quote, a scientific term for an animal that looks like a cub its entire life. Now, for safety, only a few people are allowed in the commissary at one time. When it was our turn to tour the commissary, Jim led the way. Okay, this is our commissary. Now, in the commissary, 
And uh, Chris is preparing diets for some of our carnivores, some of our predators. Uh, this is not your standard kitchen, right? It's a very different sort of kitchen. It's very utilitarian uh, in that the, um, the wallboard here is waterproof so that, you know, if you're doing dishes and you inadvertently spray a little water, you're good to go. All of our, all of our um, sponges are labeled. All of our, you guys know, right? Proper and safe food prep, color-coded meat, chicken, fish, and fruits and veggies. So um, we basically have three different prep surfaces here. So in, in times when we can get everybody in here, we can be very efficient, use the space very efficiently. Separate sinks for dishwashing and food prep. This is our pantry area. If you guys want to go in there and just see the, um, we have dry goods in there from Flamingo Diet for our ibises to rat chow for our rodents and you name it, it's in there. So you can check that out. I'll let you guys go in. It's a little cramped in there so you can check it out. Oh wow, it's like all the dry food. So we have bins. As you can see, they each hold uh, up to about 100 pounds of dry goods each. Yeah, so this it's looks very... like, like how I do store my dog food. Yes, exactly. And these are great. I tell you, we won't promote any products right here. I, I don't think but you guys this can one do that. is but, good. But this one is good. <laughs> That's a really good one. You know, it's remarkable how much this looks like and feels like a professional kitchen. You walk in the door here, like you said, it's very utilitarian. The walls are all waterproof waterboards, stainless steel tables everywhere, triple sinks like in a kitchen, food prep sinks. I mean, it's really like a professional. I mean, even going as far as to walk into a small dry storage area over here. Very, very similar to a professional kitchen. Yes, absolutely. And it is a professional, it's an exotic animal, exotic wildlife professional kitchen. And we, we really maximize and utilize every square foot of space. Our drying racks, very utilitarian, very efficient. Um, as you guys around this bend, you're gonna see some diets on the boards there. Now those diets can be printed up, cut out, reposted because um, it is not uncommon at all for those diets to change. If we have uh, one of our, our moms-to-be, moms if one of our animals is, is maybe with cubs or going to be laying eggs, we may adjust their diet accordingly. Younger animals and older animals get different varieties of diets based on their age and their need. So just like we have young dog, you know, diets for puppies and for senior dogs, sure. same thing here. Uh, and if you guys are up for the challenge, it's going to be a little chilly, no. but it's about 93 out there now. So we're going to go in where it's not even close to 93 in here. Sounds great. I'll just show you. Produce kitchen. Okay, so produce, I mean, produce fridge rather, has it um, right off the kitchen here from our door. So we've got apples, sweet potatoes, oranges, broccoli, you name it. All the foods I want my kids to eat. And my teenage son <laughs> says, no, dad, I don't want that. <laughs> all right, so all the good stuff here, right? We are thawing. Uh, meat for tomorrow's predator diets right there. And if you guys are up to the real challenge, we're gonna look here. It is uh, about four or five below zero. You can peek in, you don't have to freeze, but I'll show you real quickly. Okay. Okay, so nice. frozen strawberries, bird of prey diet. We have salmon racks. We have chicken cutlet. And uh, for our vampire bats, most importantly, we have blood. We have blood, of course. We I'm do. looking in the back back there, and it looks like I'm seeing like a zero by one strip loin or the T-bone looking steak there, you know, which I think it's, it's the exact same vacuum sealed pack that you might buy in a restaurant situation. Look at this, whole bone in, bone in. that's a uh, strip loin, which has, it's T-bone, so it has the, the, the tenderloin and the zero by one strip inside it right now that you would cut to cut like a T-bone steak out of. Fantastic, let's talk about this outside. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you guys can uh, stave off the hypothermia. All right, thank you. <laughs> Walking cool is the best place to be. Hey, I don't want to forget, Nate, one more thing. If you guys are very good, one more thing for the diet, we're going to do, this is 
known as the teas. I will not tell you the species, but we're going to be feeding one animal. I'll give you two seconds. I'll be right back. Okay. I really, we really do need this. This is not for you guys. We're going to do this anyway, right? I got a little nervous when you grabbed a quart container to okay. a, a pint container. I thought we were getting a taste of something. Thanks for waiting. Okay, I'll show you the item. Jim, tell uh, us what you just did. Okay, so I pulled out um, three. These are pinky mouse pups. We buy them frozen, we thaw them out, and we feed them at room temperature for the mystery animal we're going to meet shortly. Wow, the okay. mystery animal. So this animal is an obligate carnivore, just eats meat. Uh, they don't eat like mammals, so there's a big hint for you. They eat periodically, and uh, these guys are offered food um, multiple times per week, but it's not unusual for them to eat maybe one meal a week. So we'll see. Okay. We'll see what we, we got. Are, we are now part of the Beardsley Zoo mystery. Yes. We'll meet our mystery animal coming up. It's one of the most unique animals at the zoo and one of Jim's favorites. But first, we want to introduce you to one of our favorite animals at the zoo, mostly because she was so gorgeous and she actually spoke to us. We're meeting up with Chrissy again, this time at the Sculpture Garden where we met Newton. Jim makes the introduction. Newton is a blue and gold macaw. So she's a very large and beautiful parrot, an intelligent parrot, she's listening. All right, so this is Newton. She is our blue and gold macaw. Um, and they have very strong, powerful beaks. They can crack open Brazil nuts. So they're very strong, you don't wanna mess with them. She's getting closer and closer to me because she knows I have a treat cup in my hand. So I'm gonna ask her to say a word in order to get a treat. She's a little distracted. Let me try one more time. Good girl. So now she's getting a peanut, which is very easy for her. She likes to hold things with her feet and then use her beak to open them. Um, and she will not even eat the peanut skin. So despite having this big, powerful beak, it's very, um, she's able to really manipulate things very intricately. So she's gonna drop the peanut skin because that part's not good. And she's just gonna eat the flesh of the peanut. Let's see if she'll do an almond after she's done with her peanut. Um, and like I said, they can break Brazil nuts, which are really, really thick, tough. Um, but you know, we're also capable of cooking gourmet meals, but how many of us would rather go sit at a restaurant and have delicious food put in front of us? So Newton does not like to break her nuts, but we'll see if she will break an almond. She might. Good job, Newt. And it's like it's nothing. Very easy. These guys are pretty tough, tough, formidable uh, creatures with those strong beaks. Um, and I'd mentioned before they use their feet a lot in eating. Um, so we've learned about this bird in particular. She doesn't like to have sticky feet. So if we're giving her some sticky fruit, she prefers it with the peel on so that she has something to hold on to and her feet don't get gross. She's very much a diva. How big is she? Um, she is just over a pound, so not too huge, or a pound and a half, but um, she, she could hurt you. They have really long tails. Um, you guys can't see her, but she's very brightly colored. Um, and so it's really cool if you go down to Central um, or South America, you'll see giant flocks of these guys. And I should say you'll hear them first. They're very, very loud. They call when they fly. I think you got it all. So now I'm gonna demonstrate just a tiny little seed and she's still able to open the seed and eat just the seed and then get rid of the shell because that part's not good. That's a beautiful bird. Is she peeling that thing? Yep. She's peeling the grape. Mm 
Yeah, she doesn't she eat pills, eat. guys. <laughs> so in the morning, when we take her food, we assess how they eat every day. So we know if they're eating well, um, and it's hard to re-weigh, like with, if it's just dry food, we'll weigh it. So then we know they ate 20 grams or whatever. Um, but if they get a really complex mixed diet, it's a little harder to um, weigh things when they've been sitting out all night. Um, so in the morning you take her bowl out and it's just skins. Like it's like apple skin and a grape skin and sweet potato skin. There you go, sweetie. She takes that from you so gently right out of your hand. She does. Uh, when it comes to food, She's very food motivated, so she's very gentle, but she can deliver quite a bite when motivated to. But I mean, who bites the hand that feeds them? You Nicely know? done. Nicely done. So these are all from her diet. I didn't want to. I didn't want to make her chubby. She's also loving the attention. She's like, "Yes, I am beautiful. Please take my picture. Look at me." <laughs> Uh, she's in her mid-twenties. <laughs> Parrots can live a really long time. These guys can live like 50 to 70 years. Um, so that's why we usually, one of the many reasons we say they don't make great pets. Um, if you get a parrot, you have to really write them into a, a will. Um, they really do bond with one person in particular, typically. Um, we try to do things a little differently here with ours. Um, again, because we have a department of about 10 people that we want to be able to work with her. Um, so she's not supposed to bond with one person in particular. So she's lucky. She has a whole lot of people she gets along with well. Is she posing right now? Oh yeah, 100%. No, she sir. knows she's beautiful and she can tell that attention is being paid to her. Are you secretly her agent? Oh yeah, absolutely. 100%. I should, did I not say that in my job title? What kind of commission are you getting? Because yeah, not enough. <laughs> but it's okay because they're worth it. When they're grabbing food in the wild like this, is she gentle the same way? Like taking, I would say so. I mean, you don't have to be forceful unless you have to be. Why expend more calories getting food than you need to? The dexterity of the jaw, it's I know, incredible. It's, it amazes me how strong their beaks are to break nutshells, but then how gentle they can be to just open a little seed. I mean, I couldn't open the seed and not totally mess it up. You know, a great like bar trick though. I know, it would be. <laughs> Newton doesn't go to many bars, just a couple. She is of age. Now, she doesn't look it. <laughs> How does Newton drink? Because now we've seen her eating. Like, how does she drink? Um, she usually sticks her face in the bowl of water and just kind of licks at the water. They don't drink often, but when, when she does, she'll drink for a little while. Uh, often, macaws, she actually doesn't do it much, but a lot of times macaws will put their food in water and then eat it. Um, we have an African gray that likes to make stew, we call it, because you come in in the morning and there's nutshells and all sorts of stuff in her water. Um, but Newt doesn't do it too often. Is this the only thing she eats? Um, no, she actually, so she does get nuts and seeds. She gets fruits and veggies. Um, and she also has a biscuit. Um, it's just formulated for parrots, so it's got all the nutrition she needs. And her favorite treat, she would do anything for it, is actually hard-boiled egg. Wow. So these guys are technically omnivores. As adults, they don't need too much of the protein, and then they get that from the biscuit. But every once in a while... Someone has some extra hard-boiled egg, and they're like, do you want it? I'm like, I know some parrots that would do anything for that. It just seems so wrong that a bird's eating a hard-boiled yes, egg. Yes, but we eat mammals. True. That's a good point. That was Chrissy Shore, zoo educator at the Beardsley Zoo, and Newton, a very photogenic blue and gold macaw based in Bridgeport. And seriously, you guys, she has an agent. She will totally pose in your wedding photos if you get married at the zoo. It's a complete thing. 
you can see photos of Newton by our very own Ryan Karen King at ctpublic.org slash seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We're going to take one more short break, but when we come back, we watch our mystery animal affectionately called a snot otter snack on a pinky mouse. Sounds like something out of a Harry Potter novel. So There's not really eye. much chewing going on with this, I'm assuming. Nope, right? they do thrash it around. They use the pouch underneath their chin, like kind of like in there, it's gone. Plus, you'll meet Tahu and Sedge, the newest otters at the zoo. This is Seasoned. We'll be right back. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Marisol and I are day tripping at Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo this week, talking with curator of education Jim Knox and the team about what animals at the zoo eat. So far, we learned about reptile diets from zoo educator Chrissy Shore, and we spoke to Newton the macaw, and she spoke to us. We also watched her crack nuts out of their shells and peel the skin off a grape. That is an impressive party trick. Next, we head to the research station where we'll talk with zoo educator Jen Farrell about an eastern black rat snake, as well as one of Jim's favorite animals at the zoo. We'll finally get to see who's getting the pinky mice in the container we've been walking around with. But first, Jen introduces us to Buzzer. So um, we're just giving um, Buzzer, this is our eastern black rat snake, we're giving him his dinner right now. He's getting some rat pups. He's actually coming out of breeding season, so usually around you know late spring and summer is breeding season for them. So he hasn't been quite hungry, but um, as of late, he seems to have regained his appetite right now. Does he does he normally get right after it, or um, sometimes yeah. So usually um, one way we can tell is snakes will do um, a little bit of an S shape with their head. So that's usually a good symbol that they're about to strike at something. But right now, um, he also had just shed earlier this morning. You can see there's a little bit of scales left over right at the top of his head. And we're not going to go that way. Um, but yeah, they will us up their head um, to strike at their prey. And he ate just about um, four rat pups right now. But I think he's looking for a break. Maybe he's looking to shed some of those um, scales remaining. Those, the, the, what you're feeding him, you said you're calling them rat? Rat pups. Rat pups. So he's getting yes. basically so small baby rats. rats. Right, small little yep. rats. And he is a rat snake. These guys actually are native to Connecticut. Uh So um, these guys are actually um, really good luck. So owls and snakes are really good luck to farmers, um, particularly when there are rats and mice trying to eat the grains and all the crops. It's good to have these guys around. They're kind of instant natural pest control. And how often will he eat? Once or twice a week or is it Um, He eats um, once every two weeks or so. So they don't need to be fed that much. They're reptiles, so they usually get um, their heat energy from an outside source. So the sun, we have UV lamps, we have heat lamps. So they have all those things that they need to, um, you know, stay warm. So they don't necessarily need to eat all the time to maintain their internal body temperature. Mammals get generate heat from digesting right. food. Right. We eat a lot so that we can generate our own body heat, but reptiles don't necessarily need that. Yeah, I don't think I want to try a rat pup. So <laughs> you want to try one? I don't think I'm. You sure? You I'm, never I'm know. Good right no, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. So we're gonna give him a break right now because um, he's done pretty pretty good job eating today. And I know Jim wanted um, to show you probably one of our more unique animals. I mean, they're all unique. They all have their own special 
thinks about them. Jim, if you would like to share. So um, uh, these guys are really unique. They are, they're an animal that is definitely threatened and they were actually up for endangered species consideration with, under the Endangered Species Act in the last few years. They're America's giant salamander. They're called hellbenders. They have many, many nicknames, but this is an Eastern hellbender. And uh, when settlers encountered them um, 150, 200 years ago, they said that they were creatures from the netherworld and they were hell-bent on going back to that other world. They, they said they were so prehistoric and so outlandish looking. But they're, they're giant salamanders that offer to teach us an awful lot. For one, they're one of the few animals in the world that display a, a process called autotomy, which means they can grow back sections of tail or limbs. So if they lose a limb, they can grow it back with digits, functioning digits. And that's one of the reasons that medical science is studying them. And in terms of our work with them, we're looking to hold these guys for potential release in the wild here in the Northeast. So we're working with other zoos uh, like the Akron Zoo and the Buffalo Zoo so that if these guys get called up to the majors, they're gonna go out into the Susquehanna River or the Allegheny River in Western New York. But for now, they're here and we're happy to have them. We, we started raising them at about four and a half inches. Wow. And now they're close to 20 inches. Wow. And so this aquarium we're looking at here, it's, it's quite large. How big is this aquarium? This, this aquarium is about 300 gallons in, in volume. So it's a very large aquarium. And uh, we have a chiller on there. So if you want to read the, the temp off there, Plum, you can read it. Yeah, it says it uh, 55.6 degrees. They like cold water, huh? They do. They like cold, aerated water. So if you guys were finding them in the wild, you would find them under pristine conditions. You wouldn't find them in a, in a warm, muddy river. You'd find them in, in pristine conditions. So they really, if you dam a river, if you cut down the trees on the banks, uh, if any pollutants are introduced to a river, these guys are so sensitive that you'd see their population plummet. And which is not good for them, but in terms of study, we know that they are in environmental indicators. They're amazing creatures. They're, as we say, they're positively prehistoric. We just think they're awesome. I guess we get to see what they eat. Yeah, what so do you want to try, Jen? Or you want, yeah? Sure, we can give it a shot. Um, primarily in the wild, these guys eat crayfish. So 90% of their diet will compose of that, but they can eat things, the insects, they'll get um, earthworms. So we do have Canadian night crawlers here, which sometimes they'll eat. It's sometimes 50-50, so sometimes um, they will eat it and it moves and they're like, great, something I can strike at. Other times they're like, oh my gosh, it moves, get it away from me. So sometimes they'll get nervous, <laughs> which is you know just a funny behavior that you find when they're here. Um, but if they do not feel like eating um, night crawlers, we will give them pinky mice as well. Um, we also have fish in that freezer and we also can give them crickets. So sometimes we'll give them um, insects as well. But they can eat snail in the wild. They can eat snails. They can eat ins aquatic insects, insects. Um, even um, when they get to be adult stage, um, small frogs as well. And how often do they eat, or how often do you feed them? Honestly, they they'd be great if they eat once a week. They don't again don't need to eat too much. Um, they actually can be very picky as to when they want to eat. So sometimes we'll offer them food every single day, but they can choose when they want to eat. And are these animals they hunt. Yes, the they wild? are. They are. They're apex predators in their aquatic setting. Wow, that's um, crazy. My favorite thing about them is this is actually the largest salamander skull. So they are third um, in the world. This is the largest in the world. This is the giant Chinese salamander skull. Um, so they are the biggest in North America. But what's cool is they have a double set of teeth right underneath. So they have a pretty tricky way to hold on to their prey. We have, as far as we know, um, all three came from the Buffalo Zoo. So we do have one male. So the male is actually underneath this rock and he's actually doing exactly what he would do right during the season in the wild is 
The males actually, scientists have found every year when they do migrate back to their breeding grounds, they are very rock loyal. So they have found the same hellbenders under the same rock year after year when they breed. It's really fascinating. Um, so what the males do is they like to scout out a rock that they call home. If a female will come and lay eggs, she'll lay the eggs and he chases her off. He says, okay, you did your part, move on, and I'm gonna guard the eggs until they hatch. So really interesting um, role reversal right there. Um, so they will find a rock and right now, um, he hasn't been too keen on eating. Um, these two over here, we have the one that you're seeing right now, that is our female. So um, the male here, I call him Tux, so short for tuxedo. If you look underneath his flat head, he has a nice little white bow tie. So I thought he looked rather dapper, so I thought Tux nice. would be a fun name. Um, this girl over here, I call her Moonstone. She um, reminds me of Moonstone Beach. If you've ever been to South County, Rhode Island, Moonstone Beach is a really cool place, especially if you are a, a geode person. So great rock hunting over there. And because they're camouflaged, they look like rocks. They're flat, they're round. Um, oftentimes guests will come in here and they'll say, why do you have a tank with nothing in it? And it's just because their camouflage is so good that they often, often miss them. We'll encourage people to take a second look. And the one in the back corner behind her is the one that has the most markings. And that actually is our best eater and the biggest hellbender in the tank right now. Um, I call him or her because right now that is our unknown. We do not know whether this one's a male or female. And right now I call them Galaxy because they have kind of a Milky Way kind of pattern to them. Definitely a great band name. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible All right, get out of yeah. All right, well, we'll see if they want to eat. So we may have to push over yeah, towards the trout tank. So they're, they're called Eastern Hellbenders, but they can be called Snot Otter is one of our other affectionate, you know, nicknames for them. Um, Same thing I call my daughters. As salamanders, they have a mucousy, you know, membrane right over it. It protects their skin, but it can also make them distasteful to, you know, predators. Things like river otters, mink, raccoons, and even in their juvenile stages, um, other bigger fish can, you know, eat um, smaller hellbenders. But when they start getting bigger, they do shed that skin a little bit. Yeah, but we're going to see if she wants to eat, and I can guarantee you Galaxy will probably want to eat. They did have two pinkies yesterday, so... This is what I want to see. Come on. What's also really cool is they do have photosensors all over their body. So they can detect light changes really easily, even though they don't have great eyes. Can you describe what you're doing for us? So I'm just kind of wiggling the um, pinky mouse around just to mimic a little bit of motion, a little bit of movement. They will feel that vibration and they will see the change in light. So as the shadow kind of passes over their body. And what we're looking for to happen, will she just, just grab she, it with her mouth? <laughs> that he did. So this one will. He's usually pretty keen on eating. He's right underneath her. Uh -huh. So she might move out of the way. There we go. And then he's gonna quick suck it up. So oh, in the blink of an eye, one, two, three. So cool. So There's not really eye. much chewing going on with this, I'm assuming. Nope, right? they do thrash it around. They use the pouch underneath their chin. Like kind of like in there it's gone. So Yeah. <laughs> like a little magic trick. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if <laughs> Yeah, and if she doesn't feel like She's it. Not that's okay and that's all right so you so, literally have it in a, a long pair of tweezers 
Yes. Putting it down right in front of their face, bouncing it around yep. kind of so that it looks like it's jumping, it's moving in the water. So it's something that they want to attack and eat. Yep. Yep. And if they don't want to, that's perfectly fine. They did have a big meal yesterday. So like I said, if they even eat once a week, it's been a good week. You know, they're yeah. maintaining their okay. body weight. So Great. That's Great. pretty good. Thank you. That was very cool. Oh, you're welcome. We promised you'd meet two incredibly intelligent otters, and here they are. Animal care specialist Chris Barker has an amazing rapport with them, especially considering how new to the zoo they are. You'll hear Chris give simple commands as he tosses fish to the otters. Uh, Chris, so you are here and we're hanging out with otters. These are two new otters here at the zoo, right? Yep, uh, these are uh, Tahu and Sedge. Uh, we didn't name them, they came with those names. Tahu has been here for a couple of months longer than Sedge, so she's a little bit further along in her training. Um, Sedge has only really started training with us uh, last week because my partner was out the week before. So it, okay. it's easier to, to try and start the training solo. So one of us would feed one of the other otters and, and then somebody would focus on feeding Sedge. So that way he could start learning the behaviors before we try to feed them, feed them together. Awesome. Well, our whole show is about food. We thought it'd be great to see what animals eat. Uh, what are we feeding Tahu and Sedge today? Their PM diet is fish. It's going to be two different kinds of fish. Today it's capelin and then herring, which are actually smaller than I've ever seen herring before. Okay. They do get other varieties of fish, but what was in the fish bin and just for ease for today, we did that. And then because it's a million degrees outside, I got some fish blocks, which are probably just little bits of the, the scraps at the bottom of the, the frozen sleeves of fish added with some water and, and they can either, you know, float around with them or chew on them, try and get the... It's like a fish stock, like a fish popsicle. It's like a fish popsicle, yeah. Sure. But what's what's interesting is these guys are line of sight predators. So if we wanted them to really pay attention, or at least the old otters, we would have to use water without any fish juice so they could see the fish inside them. Oh, okay. These guys are, are younger and a little bit more animated, so they're probably just going to go for them anyway and, and chew on them anyway because I've seen them do it. But our older otters were like, that doesn't have fish in it. It's just gray water. Uh -huh. no, so they actually had to see it. I love that they're picky. That makes me excited. Yeah. Right, so great. how do we do this? <laughs> Hi, bud. Tahu. Tahu, see. Tahu, good. Said. You know so what to he do, bud. had Tahu sit almost like a dog and threw the piece of fish Said. to him. You know where you're supposed to go, buddy. Good. Water. I know it's Good. So he pointed to the water and See? the otter ran right uh, to the water. Uh, then he got his piece of fish. Uh, uh. All right, good enough. Good boy. Good time. So Chris, what is the reasoning behind having them like do commands for you? Good. So right now you can see that it's easier to separate them because they were just running around back yeah. and forth. So this makes sure it's easy for us to make sure each otter gets what they're supposed to get. And also when we start introducing more complex behaviors, like you saw the old otters that we had, we were able to go into the slide and go different various parts of the yard when we asked. This is a return point. So the otters come back to it. And then if, if we're doing a behavior, good boy. And the otters are getting good, frustrated, like they're just not getting it or they're not feeling it that day. We can have them do a simple behavior, like just go to their station and then they don't get frustrated and they're more willing to, to work. It's just like us, they can have a bad day and not want to do it. And if, if you keep asking them to do something that they're not getting, they're gonna, they're gonna want to quit on you. Good. 
It makes well, a lot of sense because you can then maintain the yeah. diet. You can see what they're eating, make sure they're both getting enough to eat. And this is just, this is kind of like a, a gateway to other behaviors that we can train with them. Um, this, this helps us. They see us every day. They participate in this training with us um, that is almost always positive. Yeah. So then if we do other training with them that, that may take a little bit more patience on their part or a little bit more trust of them with us, like if we're doing um, training with them, good. Um, to receive injections, whether for vaccinations or if we have to do a vet procedure on them, they understand that the one time that it hurts is not the norm. Gotcha. See. Good. So when he says seat, the otters actually go back to the little stone that they're uh -huh. sitting on. Good. It's actually not the, uh, it's actually not the verbal, it's, a, it's the hand signal. The hand signal. Gotcha. Water. Good. Sad, buddy. Good. I mean, Tahu is like, missed two so far. She said two well, drops. Until, <laughs> That's great. Uh, until we introduced Sedge to the exhibit, she didn't catch him. Really? So I think that that extra little bit of competition really upped her game. Good. Like she wouldn't catch it, bounce it right off her nose and she wouldn't <laughs> water. Good. I'm curious to see how they get the fish popsicles. Well, that depends on how readily the black wants to come out of the uh, deli container. It'll probably pop right out. It's so hot out here. Good. Now, Chris, Good. As, as fun as these animals look, and they look all sweet and friendly and nice. Good. Um, that's not usually the case with otters, is it? Uh, otters are not normally aggressive or dangerous towards humans in the wild. There are exceptions. And from what I've heard of people being, quote, attacked by otters, it was actually in Florida, which makes a whole lot of sense because one of their only aquatic predators, the alligator, also lives in Florida. So if they see an alligator swimming along, what they're going to want to do is try and move that alligator along out of the way by swimming up to it and nipping at it, which is what they did to these swimmers. Wow. Good. But yeah, you don't want to ever try and catch these guys. They, they're very, very loose in their skin. Um, they can turn. Their reflexes are very, very fast. And they're in the same family as badgers and wolverines. So skunks also used to be in this family. Now skunks are in their own family. So these guys can actually spray like skunks. It's just not as potent. Good. The whole process of feeding for these guys has been just standing here and tossing Good. them pieces of fish as they go to their spots or go over into the water. It's Tahu. pretty remarkable to see. All right, guys, that's it for that. Now, I want to see if they can get that fish popsicle. All right, so you heard Chrissy talk earlier about enrichment. This is another form of enrichment they do, okay. so they don't get the, uh, the fish popsicles every day. This is this is food-based, it's also tactile, so they're gonna to have to manipulate it. And I don't know if we've ever thought about considering using temperature as a form of enrichment, but certainly an ice block on a hot day counts as, yeah. you know, something a little different. And you hear other facilities, and we've done it too, where maybe animals that don't normally see snow or ice, we will give them snow or ice just so they can experience something it. Something different, right, right. All right, guys. So he just threw the blocks in. They're searching for it. They're finding it and trying to figure out how to manipulate it, how to move it around, how to use it. It's like getting a new toy. Every time I look at this enclosure, I just think of like the Lost Boys and Peter Pan. Can you tell them apart by just seeing them like, like this or you have to have them out of the water to tell them apart? Yeah, I can usually tell them apart pretty good. So who's over here? That looks like Tahu. So Tahu has figured out and got a, a spot for it. That's so fun. Chris, thanks for showing us that. We appreciate it. Oh, no problem. It. That was awesome. No problem, guys.
You just heard from Chris Barker, one of the animal care specialists at the zoo. Before we go, we've got great news for curious kids. The Beardsley Zoo is free, free 99 for Connecticut kids under 18 and one accompanying adult for the rest of the summer. As part of Connecticut's Summer at the Museum program, admission to participating museums, zoos, aquariums, and science centers is free for kids through September 6th. See the zoo's website for details and to register for tickets online. Go to beardsleyzoo.org. We'll have the link at our website as well. Special thanks to Jim Knox, our tour guide for much of this episode. He is the curator of education at the Beardsley Zoo. And thanks also to zoo educators Chrissy Shore and Jen Farrell and animal care specialist Chris Barker. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Jungle Jack Chef Plum. Seasoned is produced by Robin Doyanakin and Katie Talarski. Our interns are Maisie Carvalho and Kelly Langevin. They help with social media this week. Visuals journalist Ryan Karen King captured many photos of our zoo friends. Make sure you check those out at ctpublic.org slash season. Thanks for listening, everybody. When you get to the zoo this summer, say hi to the otters for us and book some time with that diva Newton. See you next week. And I'm keeping the name Jungle Jack Chef Plum. 